0: hey
1: kids i'd like to introduce you to a new podcast you're gonna love on behalf of myself morgan rector of one of the most horrific true crime podcasts human monsters i'd like to ask you this question do you like to travel do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all Fun fact, there is a morgue on every cruise ship. After all, people die everywhere. Why wouldn't they die on a cruise ship in the Bahamas? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder, murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by True Crime Fanatic, her comedy writer husband, and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and what-the-fuck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff... To Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater, each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway, and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right, daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short-form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, The Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So, why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts, and remember, stay safe.
3: When I was in prison for a first-degree murder, the Lord called upon me. He moved me, actually, to uh, circumcise myself. When I was first called upon, I said, gee, wow, (laughs) can I do this thing? Uh, and by and by I decided that not only could I do it but I had to do it and then because I was so faithful to God during this operation he himself took his hand just like that and hey wow just like I've got this glove on he put his hand right inside my hand as if it were a glove and took that razor blade in his own hand and helped me do that work I did that work To demonstrate to myself, not to God, he already knows who I am and he knows how strong I am, but to demonstrate to myself that I have the strength of discipline to do his work. What these people have done with all of their outrageous conduct is they have caused a revolution in this country and there's going to be a hot civil war that kills an awful lot of people and that's what we need. If we could stop this murder and butchery of these babies, I would do anything alternative whatsoever to violence. But I'm convinced and I know that violence is the only answer. Anybody who raises a weapon up against these people who are slaughtering these babies before God and the entire world right now, I say you are doing God's own work and more power to you. May the power of God be with you as you aim that rifle and as you lay it down just like that and you look along those sides and you squeeze that trigger you're squeezing that trigger for almighty god
2: joy of the lord is our strength who's the good guys, we're the good guys and the good guys are always outnumbered and they always win
1: Welcome to the Human Monsters Podcast. Today we look at the 36-year reign of terror by pro-life terrorists, Army of God. In May of 2019, eight of America's states passed bills to limit access to abortion. Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri, Mississippi, and Ohio voted to ban abortion in almost every circumstance, prohibiting the procedure entirely after the detection of a fetal heartbeat, which can be traced after six to eight weeks of pregnancy. Alabama's bill proposes criminalizing abortion for any reason, including rape and incest. It would only allow an exception in the event that the mother's life is put at risk by a troubled pregnancy. Utah and Arkansas opted to limit abortion to the middle of the second trimester, These restrictions could challenge the constitutional right to have an abortion as guaranteed by the outcome of Roe v. Wade, the famous court case that legalized the procedure. Currently, most other states adhere to the dictates of Roe v. Wade, which states that abortion is legal until the fetus achieves viability, typically at 24 to 28 weeks. Some bans include exceptions, such as a necessity to protect the life of the mother when it is endangered by the pregnancy, and pregnancies that have resulted from rape and or incest. The new bans are not yet in effect. Kentucky's has been blocked by a judge. Lengthy court battles are expected as the most immediate outcomes. The proponents of the bills have indicated that they hope the fight will be taken to the Supreme Court. Abortion rights activists Insist that limiting the procedure to before six weeks of pregnancy is a complete ban, since most women do not learn they are pregnant until later stage. Opponents of abortion were galvanized with the appointment of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. He is virulently pro-life, and with his addition to the Supreme Court, pro-life justices now outnumber the pro-choice contingent. Abortion remains legal nationwide, however. Nevertheless, lawmakers in some states have exploited legal loopholes that make the procedure less accessible. Such measures include assigning only one practitioner for an entire state while others have two or three. Though these laws will be challenged and the outcomes are far from certain, it is good news to anti-abortion advocates. Pro-life terrorists, like the Army of God in particular, must be over the moon. After all, This is a group that has stated its intentions to murder abortion providers, and through their actions they have demonstrated that these are not idle threats. Official information about the organization provided by the Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security's Joint Terrorism Knowledge Base classifies the Army of God as an active underground terrorist organization. Since its inception in 1982, their crimes include Bombings and other forms of damage to property. Violence against human beings include kidnapping, attempted murder, and murder. Though they share a common ideology and use the same tactics to carry out their objectives, the group's many cells rarely communicate and do not collaborate. Due to this, there is no leader of the Army of God. One of the rules members are required to adhere to is that they must never discuss their plans to take actions against abortion practitioners with anyone in advance. Actions The earliest documented incident of the Army of God carrying out an anti-abortion objective occurred in 1982. Three representatives of the organization identified themselves as such when they kidnapped Dr. Hector Zavalos, a physician who performed abortions and his wife, Rosalie Jean, and held them hostage. They were released unharmed after eight days. Don Benny Anderson and Matthew and Wayne Moore were identified as the kidnappers. The East Coast Division of the Army of God claimed responsibility when three of their personnel, including Michael Bray, planted bombs at seven abortion clinics in Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. in 1985. In 1993, Shelley Shannon, a proactive soldier in the Army of God, was found guilty of the attempted murder of Dr. George Tiller and was sentenced to 11 years in prison. George Tiller's luck ran out in 2009 when he was assassinated by Scott Roeder during his attendance of a Sunday church service. Roeder admired Shelley Shannon and visited her in prison several times. It was in that same year that law enforcement officials obtained a copy of the Army of God manual, which was a tactical and instruction guide to committing arson, chemical attacks, invasions, blockading entrances, butyric acid attacks, bombings, and other illegal activities. The book was buried in Shelley Shannon's backyard. The manual is an anonymously written document and is widely endorsed by all members of the Army of God. According to the official Army of God website, the manual, quote, "...is not to be construed as sanctioning any group or individual to perform any action." The book, throughout eight chapters and various appendices, details the many facets of their ideology and provides detailed instructions on how to commit violence against the facilities and staff of abortion providers as well as any activists who are indirectly involved with providing abortions, including elected officials. It also contains anti-government and homophobic sentiments. Certain sections of the book, specifically the appendices of chapters 4, 5, and 6, are not available to the public on the website due to federal laws. A third edition has been published and disseminated to its members, and is considered by them to be a historical document. Aside from the illegal material, The third edition is available on the Army of God website, which was once run by David Spitz. David Spitz has no criminal history. He used the website to publish biographical information about high-profile group members. He also published racist sentiments. He has decorated the layout of the site with photos of bloody aborted fetuses. He has used the site as a soapbox to justify the actions of the Army of God, and to incite non-members to support the organization and what they represent. The Declaration at the Beginning of the Army of God manual reads as follows. Beginning officially with the passage of the Freedom of Choice Act, we, the remnant of God-fearing men and women of the United States of America, do officially declare war on the entire child-killing industry. After praying, fasting, and making continual supplication to God for your pagan, heathen, infidel souls, we then peacefully, passively, presented our bodies in front of your death camps, begging you to stop the mass imprisonment and suffering of our passive resistance. Yet you mocked God and continued to holocaust. No longer. All of the options have expired. Our most dread sovereign Lord God requires that whosoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Not out of hatred of you, but out of love for the persons you exterminate. We are forced to take arms against you. Our life, for yours, a simple equation. Dreadful. Sad. Reality nonetheless. You shall not be tortured at our hands. Vengeance belongs to God only. However, execution is rarely gentle. Paul Jennings Hill was found guilty of the murder of Dr. John Britton and clinic escort James Barrett. He was head of a precursor organization called Defensive Action. Paul Hill reflects on his killing of Dr. Britton.
4: Actually, I didn't really decide to do it until Monday prior to my shooting abortionist on Friday. And uh, it was a very emotional experience because I was thinking in my mind whether I was going to shoot this abortionist or not and it, I kind of felt like I probably would. And um, we went to Pensacola Beach and got a relatively secluded section of the beach there. And I had three children, a three-year-old, a six-year-old, and a nine-year-old. And um, there was one uh, portion of our time there at the beach where it was very uh, emotional for me because I realized I would never be going to the beach like this again with my children. And it was... Uh, you, um, literally all my paternal instincts were stirred there as I was playing with my children and, and watching them and watching my wife you know and walk along the beach and uh, I took each one of the children one by one out into the surf you know over their heads and I was supporting each one and holding them in in the water and um, it occurred to me that I was making a sacrifice you know I was um, thinking about the promise made to Abraham that if he was willing to sacrifice his son the God would grant him descendants as numerous as the sands of the of, on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And you um, know, I just laid hold on that promise. You know, and and uh, um, you know, there there was a a real um, the emotions were so powerful. You know, it was difficult to keep tears from coming to my eyes. And I just uh, you know just lifted my heart up in praise. I, it didn't really occur to me to shoot an abortionist myself until it was eight days prior to the shooting. I was touching up a car in an unused car lot and it hit me that uh, what would happen if I were to shoot an abortionist myself. It was a difficult morning. I had stayed up late the previous night preparing virtually my every move so I could just force myself to go through them. I thought I was going to be Full of righteous zeal to carry out the, the shooting, but I wasn't. My, my my stomach felt like a bottomless pit, you know. And, and I, uh, uh, the, norm, the normal zest and zeal I have in life was just missing. It, it was it was very difficult. Um, I'm smiling now about it, but I wasn't smiling then. It was a very grim task. They pulled in past me and uh, parked, and I took about ten steps to where I had laid my shotgun and pulled it out and um, there was a wooden fence that at that point it me from their view and so I took a quick peek around the, the side of the fence to see where they were and I, so then I stepped out from behind the, the fence and raised the shotgun and, and, re- and fired three times. There's absolutely no question that an example is, is one of the best teachers. And also no question that I hope others will act in ways similar to the way I acted. So, yeah, I hope to uh, encourage others to, to defend the unborn much as I did.
3: Hey,
0: my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to the Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Rex Heuerman is a demon that
4: walks among us, a predator that ruined families.
0: The Lisk Long Island Serial Killer podcast was shocked when the news broke of Rex Heuerman's arrest. After more than a decade of searching, law enforcement officials had finally pieced together enough evidence to bring formal charges against Rex Huerman. Initially charged with three murders, Heuerman is now officially charged with all four deaths in the Gilgo Four case. I'm your host, Chris Moss, and the List Podcast will be releasing new episodes with interviews and fresh insight on the case as Rex Heuerman awaits trial in Long Island. While we are relieved by the arrest... The LISC podcast team will be working hard to share new developments and perspectives as we get them. So please keep your eyes and ears out for new episodes. And if you haven't already, please listen to seasons
1: one and two of LISC, Long Island Serial Killer, wherever you listen to podcasts. They issued signed statements to members of Congress in the early 1990s expressing sentiments about killing the killers, as they put it. The Army of God claimed responsibility for Eric Robert Rudolph's nail-bombing of abortion clinics in Atlanta and Birmingham. He also nail-bombed a lesbian bar. The group mailed a death threat to former Supreme Court Justice Henry Blackmun, who wrote the majority opinion for Roe v. Wade. The following is a list of other key players in the Army of God. Clayton Wagner, acting on what has been referred to as the Virginia Dare chapter of the Army of God, mailed over 500 letters containing white powder to 280 abortion providers in 2001. The letters claimed the powder was anthrax. Though testing of the substance disproved this, the tactic was nevertheless effective as a terror measure. The public's fear of biological warfare was on the rise at the time, due to a then-recent spate of real anthrax attacks. Wagner had a history of criminal acts and was well known to law enforcement officials. He eluded arrest for years by using a number of aliases. He was alleged to have mailed the letters after escaping from Dewitt County Jail in Clinton, Illinois, where he was remanded for other crimes. James Kopp, whose alias was Atomic Dog, Cops suspected of a shooting that injured Dr. Garson Romalis in Vancouver, Canada on November 8, 1994, Dr. Hugh Short in Ancaster, Ontario, Canada on November 10, 1995, an unnamed physician in Rochester, New York on October 28, 1997, and Dr. Jack Feynman in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada on November 11th, 1997. Michael Bray has been cited as the chaplain of the Army of God. He has hosted White Rose Banquets. The White Rose Banquet is a gathering of anti-abortion extremists. There they honor the extremists who are in prison for committing acts of violence against abortion providers. They celebrate the violent acts and encourage more of the same. Many of the attendees have committed such acts. Michael Bray has authored a book entitled A Time to Kill, which attempts to justify violence against abortion providers by citing Bible verses and interpretations. Bray has publicly applauded the use of violence to stop abortion and has been jailed for bombing abortion clinics. Neil Horsley was featured in the HBO documentary Soldiers in the Army of God. He hosts the Nuremberg Files website, wherein he once posted the names and personal information of abortion providers. The website was considered by many to be a hit list. Another of Horsley's websites contains posts of photos and videos of patients, staff members, and physicians entering and exiting abortion clinics. He was forced by court order to remove the personal information of abortion providers, which had been utilized by assailants to carry out violence against the individuals listed. The only way we really can stop legalized abortion is if we the people can find enough a, a state
3: that's willing to secede and in the threat of that secession movement wake the majority up and make the majority ask themselves, are they willing to see the United States of America destroyed in order to perpetuate legalized abortion? The American people woke up and realized that they had to choose between legalized abortion and legalize homosexuality and legalize all the rest of the desecration or civil war in that could cause the rivers to run red with blood, hey, you know what? We'll see legalized abortion go like that. We'll <laughs> oh. see legalized homosexuality go like that because the American people are not willing to die for homosexuals.
1: In an interview in 2005, Horsley admitted that he had engaged in bestiality as a teenager, which included having sex with a mule. Michael Griffin murdered Dr. David Gunn in Pensacola, Florida. This was the first documented murder of an OBGYN, wherein the murderer stated explicitly that they intended to prevent a doctor from performing abortions. Griffin waited for Dr. Gunn outside of his clinic and shot him three times in the back. Reportedly, he yelled, Don't kill any more babies, immediately before shooting him. Griffin did not attempt to deny his culpability for the shooting, telling police when they arrived at the scene, We need an ambulance. Reflecting on the shooting, he said, When I finished shooting, I laid the shotgun at my feet and walked away with my hands held out at my sides, awaiting arrest. I did not want to appear to be threatening anyone when the police arrived, he wrote. I was relieved when they cuffed me. I gave a hopeful and non-resisting look to the policeman who ordered me under arrest with his drawn handgun. I did not want to be shot and was glad to be safely in police custody. Throughout his trial, Griffin's lead defense attorney, Robert Kerrigan, insisted that Michael was brainwashed by John Burt and drove him to commit murder. At the time, John Burt was the Northwest Florida Regional Director of the national pro-life group Rescue America. Burt was a retired Marine and former member of the Ku Klux Klan, an organization he says he abandoned when he became a born-again Christian. He also claimed to be a spiritual advisor to a group of activists who bombed three abortion clinics in 1984, he ran a so-called safe house for pregnant teenagers who decided to take their unintended pregnancies to term. The teens in question were not completely safe from Bert. In 2005, he was convicted of five counts of lewd or lascivious conduct for improperly touching and propositioning a 15-year-old girl in the house. He was sentenced to 18 years in state prison. After deliberating for three hours, The jury found Michael Griffin guilty on March 4, 1994. He was sentenced to life in prison. The murder was one of the catalytic forces in creating the Federal Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. Paul Jennings Hill, on the other hand, was inspired to issue the first defensive action statement, which was signed by 30 anti-abortion leaders. They claim the document justifies the killing of abortion providers. Anti-abortion activist John Selvy walked into a Planned Parenthood clinic in Brooklyn, Massachusetts. Is this Planned Parenthood, he asked the receptionist, After answering to the affirmative, Salvi pulled a rifle out of a duffel bag and shot her in the neck, killing her. He wounded two others. Salvi drove across town to another clinic and killed a receptionist there, Lee Ann Nichols, and wounded two other employees. This is what you get, Salvi said, as they bled. You should pray the rosary. He was caught the next day in Virginia after opening fire at a third clinic. His lawyers claimed he was mentally unfit, but the judge rejected this assertion, and the jury found him guilty in March of 1996. While addressing the court during his sentencing, he showed no remorse. Instead, he requested permission to give interviews with the media about a supposed anti-Catholic conspiracy, a request that had previously been denied. He went on to say, As you know, I haven't pled guilty, though I am against abortion. My position is pro-welfare state pro-Catholic labor union, and basically pro-life. Though Salvi was sentenced to life in prison, the sentence was not served. He was found dead in his cell in November 1996. A plastic garbage bag had been tied around his head with a shoelace. Also in 1996, on July 27th, a pipe bomb was set off in Centennial Olympic Park. Two people were killed, one from a heart attack. 111 people were wounded. Like John Salvi, Eric Rudolph was a young Catholic vehemently opposed to abortion. His statement in the aftermath went as follows. The purpose of the attack on July 27th was to confound, anger, and embarrass the Washington government in the eyes of the world for its abominable sanctioning of abortion on demand. He was apprehended seven years later when, on May 31st, 2003, A police officer found him digging through a grocery store dumpster in North Carolina. He had been hiding in the woods for years. In 2005, days before he was to stand trial, he pled guilty to the four bombings. He also revealed the location of 250 pounds of dynamite and bomb components that he stashed in the forest. Like other anti-abortion extremists, he has refused to express remorse for his crimes. In an 11-page letter laying out the details of his plea agreement, he acknowledged that there was a considerable amount of evidence against him, but he did not consider himself to be the only party culpable. Washington had a problem as well, he insisted. The problem that they had was that a significant minority of the population, especially here in northern Alabama, regarded what happened there at the abortion facility on that day of January 29, 1998, as morally justified. It is my opinion that some of these people were likely to vote not guilty no matter what evidence was presented to them. Calling abortion, quote-unquote, murder, Rudolph compared his bombing campaign to the American Revolutionary War. Quote, At various times in history, men and women of good conscience have had to decide when the lawfully constituted authorities have overstepped their moral bounds and forfeited their right to rule. Unquote. He explained the moral code supposedly allowing him to kill abortion providers. He went on to say, This took place in July of 1776, when our forefathers decided that the British crown had violated the essential rights of Englishmen and therefore lost its authority to govern. And in January of 1973, the government in Washington decided to descend into barbarism by sanctioning the ancient practice of infanticide and by that act, consigned 50 million unborn children to their graves. There is no more legitimate reason, to my knowledge, for renouncing allegiance to, and if necessary, using force to drag this monstrosity of a government down to the dust where it belongs. The Army of God is associated with a number of other abortion clinic bombings, arsons, and murders of abortion providers. Some of the culprits claimed they were associated with the Army of God. In other cases, when the perpetrator remained unidentified, the Army of God would endorse their offense and take up their cause. Their reason for doing this is that they feel any action that prevents abortion is justified. The following biblical quotes can be found at the Army of God website. They are cited because there are no direct allusions to abortion in the Bible, nor are there any scriptures explicitly condemning it. Lamentations 2.19 Arise, cry out in the night. In the beginning of the watches pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of thy young children. Jeremiah 9, 1. Oh that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Psalm 94:16, Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? These verses encourage empathy for the victims and survivors of tyrannical rule. On the Army of God website, they have been taken out of context and misinterpreted as being explicitly anti-abortion. Note, theologians have not cited these scriptures as insinuating anything relating to abortion within their subtext. The following is a quote from a piece on the Army of God website entitled, A Biblical Analysis and Apologetic on the Use of Force to Save Human Life. It was written by Kathy Ramey for Advocates for Life Publications in Portland, Oregon. The following is an excerpt from that piece. To the interested onlooker, there arises an important question. If the unborn are really being quote-unquote murdered by these perpetrators of abortion, and if the unborn are fully human as those in the Christian camp claim, then why is there this great confusion over the rightness or wrongness of using force in their defense? Certainly we allow great latitude in the use of violence or force for self-defense and the defense of other innocent-born persons at risk from an unjust aggressor, so why not for the unborn? She explores the idea that her organization is hypocritical in violating the Sixth Commandment, that being Thou shalt not kill. The word kill, ratsock, in the Sixth Commandment is one of seven Hebrew words in the Old Testament used to describe the taking of life in one way or another. It is important to define the specific meaning of this word to determine if this law was actually violated by Griffin, Shannon, and Hill. Ratsock appears 47 times in the Old Testament. It is never used in the context of legitimate war or in the case of self-defense. Exodus 22.2, accidental killing, Deuteronomy 19.5, or in the execution of a person who has forfeited his life by, quote, shedding man's blood, Genesis 9.6. It is also not used in the text describing how Moses slew the Egyptian taskmaster, Exodus 2.12. All of these scriptures use a different word not found in the sixth commandment. And clearly, Scripture supports certain kinds of killing as viscerally regrettable but right nevertheless. In fact, there are times in Scripture when God commanded the killing of individuals even outside the context of war. Exodus twenty-one twelve to 17, and then 29. Leviticus 20 to 1 to 5. Deuteronomy 17 to 2 to 7, 2. Kings 9, 6 to 10. Therefore, when the Word says, "'It is mine to avenge,' I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12.19 There is a direct connection and precaution aimed at both individuals and governors against usurping the role of God that relates directly to this sixth commandment. Only two verses later, there is a designation as to whom God has delegated authority to in order to avenge wrongs done in the past. Romans thirteen one. The government then, and not the individual, has the right to punish for past offenses. But even here, government, to maintain its legitimacy, Proverbs 16.12, is entrusted to act justly by punishing those who are wicked and rewarding the righteous. The specific standards to determine who is wicked and who is righteous is clearly articulated throughout Scripture. Likewise, there is a similar pattern in Scripture that condemns those, like abortionists, who, quote, lie in wait for someone's blood, Proverbs one eleven, and it is specified that Quote, "The Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood," Proverbs 6:17 and 8. They are, in fact, the very ones that a righteous and legitimate ruler would seek to punish. These sentiments, among others, provide the so-called justification for injuring and murdering healthcare care workers across the United States and abroad to achieve their objectives as the self-righteous and self-appointed guardians of the unborn. Has it not occurred to the Army of God that the flood spoken of in the Bible that nearly wiped out the entire human race killed millions of pregnant women? Wouldn't that make it the largest act of mass abortion in history? The Army of God have not just limited their aggression to abortion providers and peripheral staff. They have also intimidated and harassed patients who needed reproductive health care which has not always involved abortion. Anti-abortion extremists will travel to other cities, counties, states, countries, and continents to carry out their acts of terror. The numerous that Army of God sells will assist other members by way of providing resources like housing and financial assistance. The National Abortion Federation has compiled statistics on incidents of violence and disruption against abortion providers since 1977. A few examples. In November of 2015, a Planned Parenthood clinic in Colorado was invaded by an armed extremist. He killed Officer Garrett Swasey, K.R. Stewart, and Jennifer Markovsky. In September 1999, Benjamin Matthew Williams and James Tyler Williams were sentenced to 21 to 30 years in prison for arson. They set fire to an abortion clinic and to three synagogues. In March of 1997, Peter Howard put 13 gas cans and three propane tanks in his truck and drove it through a clinic door. He was apprehended on the scene and was sentenced to 15 years in prison, in addition to a fine of $16,320.87 for damages and restitution. On October 23, 1998, after returning from a memorial service for his father, Dr. Barnett Slepian, an OBGYN, and an abortion provider, was shot in his kitchen. The gunman, James Charles Cop, had been positioned outdoors. The bullet shattered Sepia's spine and tore his aorta. His son was in the room at the time of the attack and was nearly struck by the bullet after it exited Dr. Slepian's body. Dr. Slepian succumbed to the injuries two hours later and died. The Hargan women seemed to have it all.
0: From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom-
2: then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
1: The following are statistics documented by the National Abortion Federation on incidents of disruption and violence against abortion providers from 1977 to 2016. Total number of murders, 11. Total number of attempted murders, 26. 26. Total number of bombings, 42. Total number of arsons, 186. Total number of attempted bombing and arsons, 98. Total number of invasions, 411. Total number of incidents of vandalism, 1,643. Total number of incidents of trespassing, 2,925. Total number of butyric acid attacks, 100. Total number of bioterrorism threats, 663. Total number of death threats and threats of harm, 545. Total number of kidnappings, 4. Total number of burglaries, 255. Total number of incidents of stalking, 583. Total number of incidents of sending hate mail and phone harassment, 15,979. Total number of incidents of hate email and other forms of internet-based harassment, 69,191. Total number of incidents of sending hoax devices and suspicious packages to abortion providers, 252. Total number of bomb threats, 643. Total number of incidents of picketing, 252,470. Total number of obstructions, such as physically preventing patients and staff from entering an abortion clinic, 1,548. Total number of incidents of clinic blockades, 895. Number of arrests, 33,837. Are the efforts of the Army of God effective? Are women with unwanted pregnancies intimidated out of undergoing the procedure? Are amendments to abortion laws accomplishing the same objective? One of the Army of God's political objectives is to successfully lobby Congress to defund Planned Parenthood because Planned Parenthood provides abortion services. What they don't realize or don't want to acknowledge is that abortion only accounts for one-twelfth of the services Planned Parenthood provides. Other services available in American Planned Parenthood clinics include Abortion Referral If a particular Planned Parenthood clinic does not provide abortion services, they can connect the patient to providers in their area. Birth Control A counselor can discuss birth control options with the patient and help them decide on the most appropriate method. Some forms of birth control are provided by the organization. The morning after pill. Not all birth control methods are 100% effective, and there are other circumstances that can lead to unplanned pregnancies. The clinic can make this pill available to anyone who cannot or does not want to get pregnant. General health care. A physician can assist the patient with general health concerns if they do not have health insurance. HIV services. HIV tests and medications are examined as possibilities for helping patients with HIV AIDS live long and healthy lives. LGBT services. Planned Parenthood provides health care customized for the needs of LGBT patients including hormone therapy for patients undergoing gender transition. Men's health services. Health services available for men include treatments and education for cancer, sexually transmitted diseases, fertility, sexual dysfunction, birth control, and routine checkups. Pregnancy testing and services. Not only can the clinic help a woman determine if she is pregnant, but they can answer her questions, provide support, and ensure she remains healthy throughout the pregnancy. STD testing, treatment, and vaccines. Having guidance with safe sex options, a place to get tested on a regular basis, and being cognizant of treatment options can keep a patient disease-free and help them to remain so. Some facts on abortion. Rape is one of the most common causes of unplanned pregnancies, particularly among teenage girls. Four out of five Americans begin having sexual intercourse before the age of 20. 70% of girls aged 13 report having sex forced on them. By the time they turn 20, 40% of American women have been pregnant at least once. Many of them have had little to no education on reproduction and understood little to nothing about birth control some of the challenging consequences of becoming pregnant as a minor, including dropping out of school, receiving inadequate prenatal care, and relying on public assistance to care for the child. Rates of teen pregnancy in other developed countries are much lower because teen females are educated about sexuality, have access to birth control products, and can take advantage of family planning services. Every year in the United States, almost half of all pregnancies among American women are accidental, regardless of their age and marital status. 1.3 million of these pregnancies are terminated through abortion. Despite the hysterical efforts of some states' legislators to ban abortion, abortion rates are at an all-time low. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, between 2006 and 2015, the rate of abortion in the United States dropped by 26%, the lowest rate on record. Experts attribute the drop not to draconian abortion laws, but to better access to contraception. Diana Green Foster, an associate professor at University of California, San Francisco who studies abortion, was quoted in 2016 as saying, "When contraceptives aren't available, women use abortion." even if it isn't legally sanctioned, and even if it puts them at great physical risk. When contraceptives are more available, use of abortion declines. One type of birth control that is considered to be particularly effective in keeping the abortion rate low is the IUD. IUDs work for years, omitting the risk of forgetting to take a pill or damage to condoms and diaphragms. In 2012, the Affordable Care Act rendered this type of birth control more affordable when it would normally come with a high upfront cost. Now most employer-provided insurance plans cover them without so much as a co Most Americans are already migrating toward the more frequent use of this type of birth control. As a result, the proportion of pregnancies that were unintended dropped from 51% to 45% between 2008 and 2011. Abortion is still common. According to a study conducted by the Guttmacher Institute in 2017, 23.7% of women in the United States will have an abortion by the age of 45, 19% will have one by age 30, and 4.6% will have one by age 20. Though the most virulent and violent anti-abortion advocates in America are religious, the majority of people who had abortions identified as being religious. 17% were Protestants. 13% were evangelical, and 24% were Roman Catholic. The rate of abortion among women of the Catholic faith was the same as the national average. The rate among evangelical women was roughly half the national average. Anti-abortion activists claim that medical abortion is not safe for women. There is no documented scientific evidence to substantiate that notion. The goal of these activists is to put a stop to all abortion, which would put the lives and health of the mothers in danger. From the late 1800s until 1973, more pregnant women died from the complications of abortions performed by untrained practitioners than from any other cause. Modern abortion techniques are safe and performed by highly trained medical professionals. The outcome of Roe v. Wade resulted in a significant drop in the crime rate in the 1990s. The reason for this is that babies born to unwed mothers living in poverty are far more likely to pursue a life of crime than children born of planned pregnancies. The Army of God claims to be fighting the good fight for the unborn. If those children were born, would they support their methodology, or would they deem their tactics as typical of human monsters? Before we go, I'm going to leave you with George Carlin's two cents on the whole pro-life movement and its representatives. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Why? 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 Why is it that most of the people who are against abortion are people you wouldn't want to fuck in the first place? Boy, these conservatives are really something, aren't they? They're all in favor of the unborn. They will do anything for the unborn. But once you're born, you're on your own. (laughs) Pro-life conservatives are obsessed with a fetus from conception to nine months. After that, they don't want to know about you. They don't want to hear from you. No nothing. No neonatal care, no daycare, no head start, no school lunch, no food stamps, no welfare, no nothing. If you're pre-born, you're fine. If you're preschool, you're fucked. <laughs> yes. Conservatives don't give a shit about you until you reach military age. Then they think you are just fine, just what they've been looking for. Conservatives want live babies so they can raise them to be dead soldiers. Pro-life. Pro-life. These people aren't pro-life, they're killing doctors. What kind of pro-life is that? What, they'll do anything they can to save a fetus, but if it grows up to be a doctor, they just might have to kill it? (laughs) They're not pro-life. You know what they are? They're anti-woman. Simple as it gets. Anti-woman. They don't like them. They don't like women. They believe a woman's primary role is to function as a broodmare for the state. Pro-life. You don't see many of these white anti-abortion women volunteering to have any black fetuses transplanted into their uteruses, do you? No, you don't see them adopting a whole lot of crack babies, do you? No, that might be something Christ would do. And you won't see see a lot of these pro-life people dousing themselves in kerosene and lighting themselves on fire. You know, morally committed religious people in South Vietnam knew how to stage a goddamn demonstration, didn't they? Huh? Hey. They knew how to put on a fucking protest. Light yourself on fire! Come on, you moral crusaders, let's see a little smoke to match that fire in your belly. Here's another question I have. How come when it's us, it's an abortion, and when it's a chicken, it's an omelet?
2: Wait. Wait. What?
0: Are are we so much better than chickens all of a sudden? When did this happen, that we passed chickens in goodness?